her and coming up and whatnot. And uh, so, okay. holiday is after Veterans Day is Thanksgiving. And uh, so we're going to talk about some Thanksgiving today. And uh, I know I'm a little bit early on that. We've still got a few weeks to go before we're upon the holiday. So it's kind of a little out of character. But um, that's all right. So we're going to do it. You'll kind of see why as we go along why we're going to do this a little bit early. All right, first of all, let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to speak your word today, Father. We thank you for the message you have for us. We ask you to take myself out of the way, Father, and let your word shine through. Open our hearts and minds to receive it. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, simply titled, Thanksgiving. Um, so, uh, I know it's, it's quickly approaching, and we've already been thinking about what we're going to eat. What's going to be on the menu for the big meal? Thinking about where the venue is going to be, where we're going to we're going to do that. Who's coming? Who's going to be around? All the different little plans. You know, it's a a big meal with family. That's a can sum it up. Now, uh, it seems like every year that Thanksgiving kind of becomes less and less important, more than a, a national holiday. Now it's more like a little blip on the radar. That. Uh, Already in October, 1st of October, you could go into the store and you could buy your Christmas tree right alongside your Halloween decorations. You know, I don't know, it seems like there used to be an unwritten rule that we kind of let one holiday get done before we started with the other one. And anymore, it seems like Christmas lasts from October to February. You already see people putting up their lights and as soon as the Halloween decorations go down, the Christmas decorations go up. Thanksgiving kind of gets swept away because we don't have all the all the little different things for Thanksgiving. There's not much in along the way of Thanksgiving decorations. Uh, I was swapping out the flowers this morning, and we don't have any turkey flowers. We don't have any Thanksgiving flowers. Everything gets uh, Third in the category as fall or fall decorations, and we don't have any special events. We don't have any special costumes. We don't even have any turkey carols. In fact, about the only special you'll find on TV is the tr tried traditional peanuts. They still manage to find time for Thanksgiving. Now, on top of this, we have the dreaded or the anticipated Black Friday, depending on how you feel about the subject matter. And used to be it was reserved for the Friday following Thanksgiving. And in recent years now, it has expanded. So it started with the sales would start on Thursday afternoon. And now they're even starting on Thursday day. So you can take and make your choice whether you'd rather have your Thanksgiving at home or you can spend it in the stores. More and more places are staying open now on Thanksgiving to try to cash in on them extra dollars. So 
So why are we talking about this today? Well, I like to ask questions. And I ask myself, why is Thanksgiving getting snuffed out? Why is it losing its importance? And who would have something to gain from that? And one person comes to mind, and that is Satan. Because what he does is, is takes little things that are good for us and tries to make them not important. We look at the, uh, the Word of God, and we see that there's different things we see over and over again. Jesus tells us to love. He tells us to give. He also tells us to be thankful. The Word tells us to praise God. And I consider praise and thankfulness going hand in hand. After all, why is it that we praise somebody? We're thankful for who they are and what they do. We praise out of thanks. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. It came even to pass, whereas the trumpeters and singers were one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted their voice and their trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endure thereafter. And then even the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. So the priest could not stand and minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. We are all human, and there are certain things that we are great at just because we're human it comes second nature to us you know things like asking wanting needing but when it comes to being patient when it comes to feeling good even hard times when it comes to certain things like being generous being kind sometimes we struggle in these areas of our life because that's part of being human too. We're a group of people that want things quickly. We want high speed, we want fast food, we want now, now, now. And sometimes when we're waiting upon the Lord, It's not always a fast process. Because he don't respond to our timeline. He has his own timeline. And being patient is something that we're not really good at. And there's just a simple fact is that we want something taken care of now. And then so many times in our life when we are turning to God, you know, we've already tried to figure it out on our own, and we're reaching out to God out of, out of desperation. We're turning to him because he's the only one that can solve our issue. You know, whether it be a, whatever the situation is, whether it be a, a medical situation, a, you know, a legal situation, you know, a troubled child, whatever the case is, we need God to handle it. 
Because when we have a trouble, it's constantly on our minds. And we don't want to have to keep lingering on it. Now we've talked about faith in the past. And that's part of the process of waiting on the Lord is having faith during this time that we have to believe he is going to do. That we have to believe that he does answer prayers. And we have to believe that he is going to fulfill his promises. 2 Corinthians 4 and 13. We have the same spirit of faith according to it is written. I believe and therefore I have spoken. We have believed and therefore speak. Knowing that he is raised up, Jesus shall raise us up also. Jesus shall present us with you. For all these things are your sakes, for the abundant grace might be brought through thanksgiving. Many rebound the glory of God. For which cause we faint not and through our outward manner perish, and the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affectionate, which is for a moment, worketh by us far exceedingly in the external weight of glory. While we look not at things which are seen, which are things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not are eternal. Give you a little bit of a psychology lesson. We all have habits. We all have to do things. We have there's good habits, there's bad habits. And when you're trying to stop one habit, you have to fulfill it with something else. You don't really ever quit anything, you just do something different. For example, let's say that you're a smoker and you want to stop smoking. A lot of times, Smokers gain weight afterwards. Why? Because they're replacing that habit of taking their hand and putting it to their mouth with a cigarette with taking their hand and putting it to their mouth with food. If you are a chronic video game player, you may take and replace that habit by watching TV or playing cards, something else to occupy your hands, your anti-coordination. You may bite your fingernails when you get bored or anxious, and you may stop doing that only to start rubbing your head. We replace one thing with another. So, on the subject of faith, and we've talked about prayer and how we reset the faith clock every time that we keep asking for the same things over and over again. That by asking for the same things over and over like God didn't hear us, like God is not working fast enough, like God's not doing his part, and we keep asking over and over again, we're resetting the faith clock. Because we're not staying in faith that he hears us and answers our prayers. And it's real easy to do. Because fear creeps in real easy. We start to worry. We have a problem, we pray about it, we let it go, and then out of nowhere, the thoughts come back. We start running all the what-if scenarios, and before we know it, we're, we're praying again. The next time our prayer time comes around, it's on our mind, so we're asking about it again. So what do we do about this? How do we break this habit 
of not having faith and not truly turning something over to God, dropping it at his feet and leaving it there. Because that's what we do. We go over. Here you go, God. We think about it and come pick it back up. Here you go, God. Come back, pick it back up. How do we leave it there and still contend with our human side that wants to keep dwelling on it? Well, the answer is thanksgiving. And we're not talking about the food portion here. We're talking about the actual act of giving thanks. And see, this is another one of these habits that we have to break. And you see, see why this is so important for Satan to take our eyes off something? Because a holiday like Thanksgiving is when we go and we renew. We think about it. You know, even though that, you know, Christmas, for example, is based on so many different things that's really not of God. So many pagan beliefs and different things that's happened over time that it's not really the time that Jesus was born. It is a time to renew. It is a time to draw us back in, to refocus, and to think about him and what that means, what his birth meant to us. And that's the same thing about Thanksgiving. It draws us back to a time where we think about being thankful again. Not something that we do for a day, but something we should do every day. So, we're not used to being thankful before something happens. Our typical thing is somebody, somebody does something nice, they give us a gift, they hold a door, they um, let us cut in line, we say, thank you. Action, reciprocate. Now with God, we need to think about it a little bit differently. Because we know that God is going to do it. Word tells us he's going to do it. What he asks for, we're going to receive it. If we believe it, we're going to receive it. So if we are doing that, what do we do in these, this, this time? Because sometimes it might take days, months, even years for the miracles that we're needing in our life to manifest. So how do we maintain peace with it during this time? And that is by giving thanks. So we take our problem, whatever we may be, we pray about it, we lay it down at God's feet, give it to him in detail, knowing that he's going to handle it. So when that trouble comes, when them thoughts in your minds come, when your next prayer life comes and you want to address it, how do we go about doing that? By simply thanking God that he's handling our situation. See, for example, if you're asking for healing, the moment that you ask. That's when things start to take place. Now you may not feel any better and more likely you're not going to because that's a feeling. But it's not about our feelings. It's about our relationship with God. And we're believing that God is going to do what he tells us he's going to do. We don't have to feel good about it we talked about it what, a week or so ago about feelings, how we can't trust feelings because they don't control us. There is a, an entity that doesn't make a sense a lot of times. So you may not feel any better, 
but you are better because we know what the promises are. So what we do is we thank God that he's already taken care of our situation. He's already put it into play. He knows what we're going to say before we ever utter the words. And he knows what he's going to do about it. All we have to do is stay in faith. And we can do that by giving thanks. Thank you, Lord, that you're handling my problem. Thank you, Lord, that you're healing me. Thank you, Lord, that the situation is being taken care of. You don't have to ask for him again. Thank him that he's doing it. And see, that's the opposite of what Satan wants us to do. Because Satan has no real power. Satan has the illusion of power. And he does that through fear. Because the one thing that fear can do is block faith. Now, fear doesn't give Satan power, but what fear does is, his only tactic is to neutralize our power. Our power comes through faith. Faith allows us to access the kingdom of God, access the power that Jesus had given to us. So Satan neutralizes our power by fear. We have nothing to fear. Every week, every Sunday, I ask for special prayer requests. I see hands go up. And I'm hoping that there's different things that you're in need for. And I'm also hoping that if it's the same things over and over again, that we're not stuck in a spiritual rut, that we're not just keep resetting the clock each and every week. And that's why this message had to come today. That's why I need to be right now because this is stuff that we need to be using right now and not just during a holiday, but every day because this is this life-changing way of life stuff that we need to be put into effect. We need to start changing our script. We can get so stuck in a rut in the way we pray. We need to make it personal. Talk to God like he's a person. Like we're talking to each other. Because that's what he wants from us. He does not want a ritualistic repeat of the same stuff over and over again. Tell God what he means to you each and every day. What has he done for you this day? Thank him for that. We get so caught up sometimes on everything that we want and we need and the things that are affecting us so much, we forget to be thankful. And no matter how bad things may be, how bleak the future looks, there are things each and every day that we can be thankful for. We can have a positive attitude. We don't have to complain about each and everything. There is good in each and every day, and that's good is because God has given it to us. Well, you might not feel good, but at least you're living. You might not be rich, but at least you have enough. You might hurt, but you're still moving.
My two boys, they're polar opposites most days. And they come to me as a source of a lot of different things. And uh, if they want a drink, they'll bring you a cup. And one of them, Jacob, he is really persistent. He's going to stand there with that cup. He's going to put it in your hand. He's going to pull you up. He's going to make you react right then. And that's how a lot of us want God to do. The only problem is we can't get our hands around him. We can't force him into doing so. You know, Jacob's got his ways that he can just be in your face enough that you're going to respond. Well, we don't have that kind of influence over God. But if we did, a lot of us would be. Most of us would be. If we could just, you know, climb up in his lap and get his face real close and just stay there until he does something. And then we have the other one, JP. He'll come along and he'll hand you a cup. And if you're, if you're busy, you know, if I'm writing something down or if I'm on the phone, I can set that cup down and he's not going to say nothing about it. But if I haven't responded to that cup within a few minutes, he's going to come back along again. He's going to pick it up off the table and he's going to hand it back to me again as a reminder. And that's a good example of us too. Because we wait and we don't see any results. So we think, hey, maybe he forgot. So we need to give her a little reminder. And it's not our fault, really. Because we're not used to dealing with the greatness of God. We deal with each other. The boys are like that with me because I am not perfect. I may set that cup down and yes, I may forget it's laying there because I'm preoccupied with something else. So sometimes it's a necessity for them to remind me. And my little girl, she will ever let you forget because if you forget one time, she remembers that forever. So she's going to remind you and remind you and remind you because one experience shapes us. We have to change the way we think because God is not going to let us down. God's not going to forget. I can't explain to you how he does it, how he's able to keep tabs on each and every one of us each and every moment of the time I can't imagine how big his day planner has to be to keep track of everything but God doesn't forget We have so many things that we can be thankful for. A lot of us look at our lives and say, well, there's, there's nothing good. God didn't do nothing for me. The fact is that you can be free. That you can walk around. That you can smell the air. You can see the sky. These are all blessings of the Lord. 
and all things that we can be thankful for. That we're going to be having a big meal, that we have family. There's so many things. We need to start changing the way we think and doing more thanking. Especially to God, but not only to God, to each other. We take things for granted so much. We take people for granted so much. And it doesn't take that much effort to say some words with some sincerity. But on the other end of them words, when you receive them, it means everything. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that we have a, a more thanksgiving heart, Father, that we'll be opened up more to realize the blessings in our lives. That so many times we are just so closed off that we don't see all the goodness that's in the world, Father, that's in other people, that's, that you give us, Father, that we're so closed off that we can be opened up more to realize the blessings in our life, Father, to start seeing the good and stop focusing so much on, on the bad, that we can have a heart that's more giving, Father, not only in giving in our time and our money, but just giving out kindness, Father, and giving thanks. And we ask, Father, that we can just uh, to rethink and do things better, Father, and use thanksgiving as a way to build faith and we can have stronger faith father we thank you for this and ask this in the name of your son jesus amen page 375 please stand I, uh, last week we uh, started talking about Thanksgiving, the, uh, the holiday and just the act of and how that in recent times that we've kind of got away from the idea of Thanksgiving, both as an act and as a holiday, that it's a, a tool that Satan uses to stop us from being thankful, to stop us from praising, so... He can accomplish more of what he wants to accomplish. And uh, we're going to continue on that path this week. We, uh, as I was looking over my notes this morning, I chunked most of them. So we're kind of going off the cuff a lot here this morning because just didn't, just didn't feel the way it was turning out. We want to go in a little bit different direction. God would push me in a little different direction. We're still talking about Thanksgiving. And uh, let's start off by going with the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get into your word today. Father, we ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive it. Just let your true message shine through, Father, and take myself out of the way. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. And uh, I'd like to start off this morning um, in the word of God in Psalms 27. Psalms 27, my King James says in the heading above, the Lord is my light and salvation, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh and stumbled and fell. 
The host should encamp against me, and my heart shall not fear. Through war shall rise against me, I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple. For in a time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle, and shall hide me. He shall set a, set me upon a rock. And now shall mine be heard and lifted above my enemies round for me. Therefore I am ever in this tabernacle, sacrifices of joy I sing ye. I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry upon my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou sayest, Seek is my face, and my heart shall see thee, my face, Lord, I will seek. Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, nor forsake me, O God, my salvation. For my father and my mother forsake me, when my Lord shall take me up. Teach me in the way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of my enemies. Deliver me not unto thy will of my enemies, for fault wisdoms will rise up against me, such the brethren of cruelty. I have fainted unless I have believed. I have to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait unto the Lord, and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. Now we have a, a lot of David's writings, and we see a lot of praise for God. We see a lot of love for God. We see a lot of admiration of what God did in the life of David. David is the one being known to have a heart for God. Let's look back a little bit at David. See, you can take any person besides Jesus in this book known as the Bible, and we have snippets of their life. And we see that they were all imperfect in ways. We see that they all had troubles. And we see that they all had interactions with God. Much like all of us, right? David, he started out kind of at a disadvantage. He was the youngest of the bunch. He had older brothers that were much grander than him, bigger in stature, in service. They were, by looks, to be known leaders. And David, he was a shepherd. He tended his father's sheep. When it came time to pick the king, he wasn't even a candidate. They didn't even worry about bringing him up because his father didn't think that he was up to par. He thought there was much better choices. And when he became anointed, even his brothers didn't really respect what was said. He uh, faced opposition. He had to uh, go up against a giant. Now, as we read that story of how he faced this giant, he seems like he went in fearless. Of course, he knew that the Lord was on his side. He knew that he would bail. But how many times in our lives do we know what God says? Do we know we're going to prevail? But yet, there's still a little bit of fear that lingers underneath the surface. 
And I'm sure that that day that David faced that. As he went through his life, he had Saul that was coming against him that wanted to take him out. He had to face decisions. And as a, a leader, as a king, I can only imagine the difficulties that must have to be at times. Even leading something small, a church, a small business, can have great strain on a person. And this was the leader of a nation. And of course, he had troubles that he brought upon himself. He let sin get the best of him a few times, and it caused him great problems with adultery and murder. And God had to see him through that. Later on, his children rose up against him. Just difficulty after difficulty. And this was a man with a heart for God. The point being is that we all face difficulties. Now the word tells us that we should count it all joy. That we should praise in our trials. So that's what we're talking about today is being thankful in the trials. Praise him in the storm. There's a song about that. Praise him in the storm. Now, there's a difficulty when it comes to this. You know, if you've heard me talk a few times, I like to explain why we do what we do. Talk about our human nature. So many times we hear about what we shouldn't do, but we never get explained to why we want to do it to begin with. And I don't want to condemn people. I want people to understand why God wants us to do these things and why we want to do these certain things so we can come together in the middle and solve our problems and not be in so much conflict back and forth. So we all face our trials. And last week we talked about Thanksgiving. We talked about how it's a reactive thing. Someone does something nice for you. You say thank you. They give you a gift. You say thank you. But doing it proactively, because we've been programmed that sometimes people are going to fail us. They're going to forget. They're going to not meet our expectations. So we kind of reserve our thanks till after the job has been completed, that everything's up to par, that we've met our expectations. And then that's when the thanks comes. That's when the final payment's received after their product has been inspected. And they get the final okay. But with God, God we know is going to come through. We know he's going to come through better than expected each and every time. His word tells us so, and because he says it, we know that it is a fact. We know that it's true. And we also talked about last week about how 
What do we do in the time from when we are needing something from the Lord, we ask for it in prayer, and we're waiting for the miracles to manifest. We're waiting for the prayer to be answered. That what do we do? That we tend to want to remind God by telling him over and over again. But what we should be doing is, is thanking God, believing that it's already been taken care of because his word tells us that he knows what we are going to say before we ever say it. So if he knows what he's, we're, we're going to say before he says it, we know that he's already got a plan in place and he's just waiting for that faith to ignite that power so he can go ahead and take action in our lives. So what about in the challenging times? See, a lot of times when something bad happens, we're facing a difficulty when we're struggling we are not in a state of praise we are not thankful for that because it's uncomfortable it's challenging it's difficult it's not pleasurable and our mentality is we're only thankful for the things that make us feel good But see, sometimes to get to where we need to get, sometimes we need to do things that don't make us feel good for a better result. I had surgery a few years ago. I had a horrible infection and it was causing me great pain it hurt to get off the couch I had a fever I was taking antibiotics by the handfuls just to stay at walking around and they were some of the worst tasting pills you've ever put in your mouth I don't know how they made something so nasty but they were horrible and this went on for months and months and months and the only solution was to have surgery, to go in and remove that section of my body that was now malfunctioning, cut away the infection, and sew everything up back together and get it out of there. Well, that was not a fun time. Things didn't go quite as planned. It was a lot more in-depth, a lot more... Um, a lot more problems than I thought once they got in there. And there was a long recovery afterwards. I was not very comfortable. It didn't feel very good. But as time went on, I did eventually recover. I had to go through that period of recovery the surgery, and all these things to get to the point where I was feeling good again, where I didn't have to take antibiotics, where I didn't have a constant fever, where I wasn't in constant pain. Now, during that time, it's hard to focus on the end result. And you often wonder, like, why do I even have to go through these things to begin with anyway? 
And a lot of times in our lives, we, we blame God. We think God is not paying attention. We think he's not listening. We think that he's just neglecting us, that he's punishing us. Because we cannot see into the future. We cannot see how this particular event is going to change us for the good. Now, God has a choice. You know, we get ourselves into things. Sin gets us into things. Just being in the world gets us into things. Things happen. And we often, you know, God can do anything. So we wonder why. Why does he allow these things to happen? Well, if you are going through something, God is allowing you to go through something. There is a reason for it. And many times we don't see that reason. We don't see it immediately. Sometimes it manifests months down the road, years down the road. And sometimes not really at all. We just haven't reached that point yet of the understanding of why we have to do these things. Or we're just not meant to. For some reason or another, this is one of these things that's bigger than us. We have to just trust in God. We don't always understand why we have to do what we have to do. But we know that there is a reason for it. During that time, I was in a lot of pain. But you know, now, I'm not too concerned about getting hurt. I've been there. I've done that. I used to, didn't care too much for needles. I got poked and prodded so much during that time. Don't really bother me anymore. I'm also now have a better understanding about others. I can relate to being in the hospital, being around doctors, and having something that's out of your hands, that's happening to your body that you have no control over. So there was good things that came out of it, even though... I may have not realized it at the time. And this is just one example. We all have things that we've been through that have good things that come out of it. Everything that's happened in our lives, both good and bad, has got us where we are today. I wouldn't be standing here talking to you today if it wasn't for series of events that was not fellowship in my life that brought me here. And many of us have gone through difficulties that, if nothing more, that we have a story to share with others. I've heard my mom talk to people many times in her life about her struggles that she's had with her health and different things. I've heard others talk about their struggle with their health. I, just this morning, I was sitting there in the back listening to people talk about their struggles. It was a, um, a way to, to bridge. We can talk about God's in our life. What he's did, how he's brought us through. These are all things to be thankful for. But it's not our normal way of thinking. And that's what we've been talking about for months and months and months about think differently. And well, last week, too, we talked about 
the power of praise. That praise and thanksgiving go hand in hand. Why are we thankful? We're praising. Hand in hand, the two things go together. Paul, he was another one that started out in the beginning. He had a completely different lifestyle whenever he first comes into the world. We first get a, a glimpse of his story. You know, he was a, a born Roman citizen that had some, some clout, some statue. He was educated. And apparently he uh, was a, a respected and high up official because he was persecuting the church. But he was not doing it individually. He was ordering people to do these different things. He was in charge. He was receiving the permissions that he needed to go out and do what he was doing. And he enjoyed what he did. And then on that road to Damascus, the light comes down. He has his interaction with Jesus. And his life is then changed forever. Just a complete 180. Now, many people, they choose to not to get involved, to, to not really throw themselves headlong in, maybe not even to accept Jesus, because they don't want to experience a change. They're happy in their lives, and they don't want to experience that change. Paul, he, uh, he embraced it. He embraced this change. He knew then that he was wrong. He knew that he had to do things differently. And I believe that Paul was... Selected because he was a special person. He was what God needed at the time to do the job that he did. You know, he had to be a pretty rough and tumble guy to be able to do what he did, to go around place to place and persecute these Christians. He also had to be a pretty rough and tumble guy to receive the persecution that happened to him time and time again after... He started working for God instead of against him. Paul had a rough go of it. Probably rougher than any of the rest of them. He was beat up. He was stoned, scourged, thrown in prison. People didn't take too kindly to him. He would do great things and all of a sudden he was treated poorly for it. People that he was trying to count on, that he wanted with him to come along, they would abandon him. He kept having to make choices to move forward and to further the kingdom. And each time we look at these different encounters, we see him locked away. He's in shackles. He's been beaten. He's lying on the floor. And he's singing praises to the Lord. Paul is the author of many of these letters to the different churches. Things that we cherish today, that we use as study guides in how we interact with God through his word. He 
put these things pen to paper. But not in the comfort of an office. Not sitting on the beach, staring at the sunset. Not in his home, but locked away in a prison. During his time of house arrest, awaiting trial. When things were not comfortable, when things were not good, he was still thankful. Thankful that he had a Lord and Savior and was able to do all these things. So what about us? We don't tend to be thankful when bad things happen. We're like, oh wait, now what? We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're waiting for something else to happen. We get aggravated and agitated, astrobated. It's all the A words I got. And we are disappointed. We're mad. We're angry. Because we can't see past the circumstances. Circumstances are but for a moment. And the further they are in the past, the less impactful they seem to be. We don't think about it much anymore. Just enough because it sticks with us because it changed our life, but we don't have to dwell on it. And many times we allow ourselves to get bogged down in the details. We talked about that a while back. When people go through therapy and they talk about things it's usually not the things that's happening right now in the present that's the biggest issue. It's something that happened in the past. A lot of times it's rooted in our childhood or in our early years as an adult. Something that happened and that we've held on to and not processed and not dealt with. And we keep bringing it up again and again and again. Because we dwell so much on the negative of things. And with everything, there is a silver lining. Because God is involved in it. And with every situation that we have faced, if you can't think of anything else, if you can't think of any single solitary detail that is good about it, you have this one thing, that God seen you through. That you're still here to tell that story. One of my pet peeves used to be, you know, I talked about a few, I don't know, I guess everything's always a few weeks back now, but, you know, we talked about different things, just certain words people use and how, you know, it's just irritating to me sometimes. And I used to always get to me 
when someone would say, it could always be worse. And I figured out the reason that was. Because when they said that, I felt like they was minimizing what I was going through. Well, if it could be worse, then maybe it's not that bad. And quite frankly, I want to have my pity party. I want to be able to show my suffering. I want to be able to, you know, have my me time. Woe is me, that. But I face the fact is that in every situation, it always could be worse. We're not always living the worst possible scenario because there's always something else. And the reason is that it could be worse and it's not worse is because of God's presence in our lives. He knows what we can handle, how much we can endure, and he doesn't let it go past that point. Didn't say that he doesn't allow us to be uncomfortable. Didn't say he doesn't allow us to go through stuff. Because it is in our hard times is when we grow the most. If you look back at the timeline of your life, and we've marked down all the events, the good ones and the bad ones. Which ones shaped you the most? Which ones drove you deeper into the arms of God? Which ones grew your faith? Which ones made you have to believe? Which ones changed you deeply and I'm willing to bet that it's not the good ones it's the hard times when we're desperate when we're hurting when we're sad because that's when we need faith that's when we need to find strength that we didn't know we had it's real easy to be happy. Hand me a candy bar and I'm happy. But to overcome adversity, that takes something more. That takes God. We need to start thinking differently. Everything doesn't have to be a woe is me moment. Think about it as a growing me moment. You know, the, the disciples, they were out there on that lake. That storm came in. And they were running around. They ran down there and got Jesus because we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. The storm's going to get us. We're going to capsize the boat. We're going to drown right here. And Jesus said, why are you so fearful? Where's your faith? Now, in that moment, they were scared. We've all been scared. We felt fear. But 
My dad had a fake Santa Claus out there in his shed. And it's about yay tall. So when you turn around and you bump into it in the dark, you believe there is a person in there with you that has done got you. And it will make you fear fear. It will make you make sounds that you didn't know could come out of your body. But it doesn't really hurt you. And I'm sure that during that time, they were facing fear. And if we uh, had the option to not go through fear, many of us would take that. Let me ask you this. Now that we are past a lot of the things that's happened, if you had the opportunity that you could omit that from your life, that like it never happened, how many of them events would you actually take away? Because, see, if, if they had went and done that, if they could erase that moment of fear, and, of course, you know, it had to be kind of embarrassing. Here you are. You're the disciples of Jesus Christ. You've been with him. You've been American all these miracles. And a storm comes up of all things. They weren't facing a giant. They weren't facing a monster. They weren't facing an army. They were facing a little bit of wind and rain. How embarrassing could that be? That they were so scared of a little bit of wind and rain. But what if they had took and could admit that? And didn't have that written down for us. Look what all we would have missed out on. Missing out on a, a lesson in faith. Missing out on the power of Jesus that's now passed down to us. You know what? Any one of them could have went up there on that deck and did the same thing that Jesus did. If they had just had the faith and believed they could have done it. Just the way Peter walked out on that water. It wasn't because Jesus was standing there. It's because Jesus gave him the power to do so. Just like all of us have it. We're just missing that faith that allows us to activate it. So how many of them things would you erase? See, I can't go back and erase anything because I wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't be standing here with the privilege of being able to deliver the Word of God to all of you. I would have missed out on everything that I have studied since I've been doing this. I would have missed out on the relationship that I have built with God. So I can't go back and change anything. Because everything has brought me to where I'm at today. And all of you can say the same thing. Each little thing, even if you can't point it out, has shaped you. Made you who you are. Made you stronger, better, stronger, more complete, well-rounded, better to... Accept the challenges that are yet to come. And they will be. None of us are challenge free. We see that the 
the man with a heart for God had his challenges, both personal and outside. We see that another man that had his heart turned to God had challenges, both inside and external. Each one of us has challenges inside and external. But God is in control. It's real easy to thank when we have something in front of us to show for it. We need to start thanking, knowing that there will be a return. Thanking that we'll receive. Thanking that we'll come out on the other side. Praise him in the storm. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time for just to, to get into your word, Father. And we know that each and every person that's sitting here today, each and every person that's hearing my voice, Father, myself included, we lack. We lack in thanksgiving. That there is so many things that we have to be thankful for. And so many times we let the, the darkness block the light. That we don't give you the credit that you need. We don't give you the thanks that you deserve. We don't thank each other. We don't thank you because we're selfish and we are influenced so much by the negativity in our lives. And Father, we ask you to forgive us because we have so much to be thankful for. You gave us your son and that reason alone is enough to make us stand up and praise you every day, Father. But you are a loving and giving God, and that wasn't enough for you. So each and every day, you continue to shower down blessings upon us, Father. And we thank you for that. And Father, we ask that if anyone needs to make any decisions in their lives, to make any changes, Father, that they will not leave in the same condition they walked in the day. That they will be able to overcome, Father. And that each and every one of us can start changing and improving, Father, and have a more thankful heart and a heart that is totally committed to you. We thank you and ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Page 394. Page 394, please. Please stand. So, I was... I didn't agree with that. I was thinking about how... How does that come into play? And uh, you guys remember uh, video rental places? You know, those were a big thing. You know, that's one of the things that kind of technology kind of wiped away. But I remember as a kid going in there and you're going in through and you're seeing rows and rows and rows of all these movies. And each one of these has the box art there where you can see it. And they have a picture on the front and it kind of gives a... Um, an idea of what the movie's about just by this picture. And it was just interesting to watch and just to walk through and to see all these different kind of movies that was available. And each one of these uh, boxes share a certain thing. They have a title of the movie, they have a picture, and they have the main stars, you know, um, Rocky starring Sylvester Stallone, The Terminator starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, and uh, they want to put that the front runner 
fourth and foremost. And then, you know, of course, you put a movie in and you watch, you have that, what they call the opening credits, where the title will come up, and then we'll see starring such and such, and starring, and co-starring, also starring. And we get a lot of the, the main characters right up front. And then you go to the end, the screen turns black, and all the credits roll up, and you see everybody listed. We see um, the main characters, but we also see persons standing in the alley. We see girl number two. We see man on the subway, and they're all listed there. And as for the whole, these little guys were part of the movie. They were part of it. And when we look at the Word of God, God had the entire everything to pick from. And he had to pick certain things that we were going to benefit from to put in this book. Now face it, most of us don't even read what's in this book. So we really couldn't afford to have anything else. So God gave us just what we needed. So we have to look at each and every encounter, each and every person, and see exactly what we're to get from it. Because it's more than just the face value. There's a lot more to it. And we're going to look at that a little bit today as we look in deeper into a story than we typically get. First, let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to... To speak your word today, Father, we ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive it. I ask you to take myself out of the way, Father, and just let your message shine true. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, today's text is going to come from John chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. So we have three people we're going to talk about today. There's Mary, there's Martha, and Lazarus. And they're two sisters and a brother. And Jesus, during his ministry, would frequent their home. He would stop in, they would rest, they would have some food. Apparently Martha was a good cook. And he would teach. Mary loved to listen to him teach. So they were, they were friends. They were close. These were special people to Jesus, and Jesus was special to them. John 11 and 1. Spider. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. And those brothers, Lazarus, was sick. You know, back during this time, there were so many people with the same names that sometimes the Bible has to make it clear who exactly we're talking about here. And this is one of them cases where they wanted to know that this was, in fact, this person and not give you any other indication it was anybody else. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he who thou lovest is sick. Now I want to stop right there for a moment and, and look at that. She's made a point to say, he who you lovest. 
Now, isn't it funny? And this is, we're, we're really looking at some, some human condition today. We're looking how, not only how these people act, but how we act in our everyday lives. Now, when we really want something, what do we do? We put some emphasis on how special the situation is. And that's what she was doing there. He that you love us. It's like they was trying to remind him that this person is special to you. So it requires some special care. He who you loveth is sick. And Jesus heard that and he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereafter. Now we've been talking about this at length through this past year, that we sometimes fall victim to things just because we live in a sinful world. That things like sickness is not something that we're stricken upon. It's just something that we have to deal with. And then, you know, last week I asked you about the, told you to think about the things, the hard times we've been through and how many times would we change them if we could. Now certainly I'm sure there's certain times we would, but then there's other times it's not. And we see Jesus here talking about he's only in this condition to glorify God. Now we all have our testimonies. And we can talk about all the good things that God did. But what makes a more impactful testimony? How about when you're in a terrible situation and God brought you through? Me and my wife, we talked to a lady the other day. And uh, she was telling a situation about that she had a, a medical issue and that she'd seen several doctors and they couldn't find it, that they thought that she was uh, putting on more than what was really happening and maybe she was just in, in sort of trying to get some medication or something like that. And it turns out that she actually had stage four cancer. And by this point, the things had gone so bad that she was only given two months to live. And by the grace of God and prayer and faith, that two-month death sentence was two years ago. And she is still getting better and moving forward. What a testimony that is that you're in this dire situation and God brings you through. And what does that do for our faith? It's more than just glorifying God. It's more than for his glory, but it's also for our faith. Because when God brings us through these impossible situations, our faith grows and builds. And the next time, it's easier to believe. It's easier to go through. There's less fear. And we can take it on. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days in the same place to where he was. Sometimes, when we love someone, 
we need to do nothing. Many times in life, we can overdo. You've heard situations where someone loved the pet to death, where they just kept caressing and petting and petting until it just couldn't take it anymore. Sometimes we have to give people a little bit of space. We have to let them do things on their own. We have to allow them to be pushed just a little bit so they can do things in their own power and also so that God can work in their lives. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go unto Judea again. And his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late thought to stone thee, and there goest there again. And he answered, There are not twelve hours in a day. If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he's seen the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumble, because there is no light in him. These things he see, and afterwards that he say unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, so I may wake him out of sleep. So, we got two things going on here. First of all, we have that pesty fear that keeps coming up. We see in the disciples again after again. They're telling him, these people are after you. These people are going to kill you. They want to stone you. You are not welcome there. But then we see the other side. We see Jesus, who is on a mission from his Father God, who has a promise from his Father God that he has work to do. So Jesus knows that there is nothing that these people can do to him that's going to prevent his Father's plan from being carried out. Jesus has nothing to fear because of the promises of God. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go so I may wake him of his sleep. And then his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. How but Jesus spake of his death, but they thought of spoken and taking of rest and sleep. And Jesus on him plainly, Lazarus is dead. Once again, we have misunderstanding. The disciples are thinking he's merely just resting. Our natural sleep, but we go through our cycle every day. But no, Jesus said, no, he is dead. Again, they're not even grasping the concept of what he is about to do. They are failing to see his power. They are not understanding. How frustrating must that have been for Jesus? All this time, all this teaching, and still they don't understand. Just like many of us today. I am glad for you sakes that I was not there for the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go on to him. And then Thomas, which is also called Didymus. Again, we want to make sure we're talking about the right person. Unto his fellow disciples, let us all go so we may die with him. How many of us have people like this in our lives? 
that no matter what's going on, they got to bring out the worst case scenario. These negative Nancys, these, uh, I'm sure there's several other puns I could put in there. But these people that are so negative, so doubting, so fearful. Well, let's go, guys. We're going we're gonna to just all die together. It's just, we're in this dire situation. Worst case scenario, well, come on, there's nothing we can do about it. We're just, you know, we're just gonna, not going to make it. And when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. And there's some significance there. During this culture, that they believed that after three days, there was no turning back, that the soul was already processed, it was done. So we see it here at four days. Now Bethany was nigh to rule, about 15 furlongs off, and the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Now this verse first spoke to me because I think this really brings out what we've been talking about here. You know, every other encounter that Jesus had with Mary and Martha was always in their house. He was a guest there. He was part of the family. He was welcome. He was free to come and go as he pleased. He was always brought in. They was always fed, always taken care of. But now, look what's changed. Jesus doesn't even make it to the house, but Martha goes out to meet him. And I'm going to speculate a little bit here. I'm going to read between the little lines of a little bit because... I don't believe that she was very happy. I believe this is one of these situations where wait till I see him. I got something I got to get off my chest. I am upset because you have let me down. You have not done what you're supposed to do. And I'm going to tell you about it. Then said Martha to Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. How many times do we tell God how he's messed up? How he's fallen short? We question his motives. We question his abilities. God, if you had only done this, then the outcome would have been different. See, what we do is in these situations, we're breaking faith. Because at that point, we're saying that the, the situation is over. And nothing else can be done. And see, we're talking about a dead man here. We're talking about Lazarus. But you know, we all have Lazaruses in our lives. It may not be the physical death of a loved one. It might be... An illness. It might be a financial situation. It might be a wayward child. We all have something that didn't turn out like it was supposed to. We all have something that's died in our lives that needs to be resurrected. 
But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give thee. Ooh, what does that sound like there? She's mad. She's upset. She's grieving. But peeking through all of that is that little grain of faith. She says, I know. She says, not that I think. Not that I maybe. But she says, I believe. I know that whatever you ask, it shall be done. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise in the resurrection of the last day. She's not thinking big enough. She's not thinking big enough. She's not thinking about today. She's not thinking about what God can do right now. She's thinking about what God's going to do in the future, but not about what God's going to do right now. She's not thinking big enough. She has faith, but not big faith. Not bold faith. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said that believe in me and now if he were dead, that he shall live. And who shall ever live and believe in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? She said unto him, Ye Lord, I believe thou art thy Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went away and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master has come and called for thee. And soon that she heard that she rose quickly and came unto him, now, Jesus was not yet coming to the town. We go back. Go back. Jesus is making a proclamation to her. The promises of the Lord. If you believe, then this shall happen. And what does she do? She calls him master. She calls him Lord. Because despite what she might have been feeling, We've talked about separating the feelings from the facts. Now, despite what she might have been feeling, her knowing, the promises, the teachings, they came to the surface. This is why we have to build on strong foundations. This is why we have to go over this stuff again and again till we know it, till we believe it. So when the feelings, the things we cannot trust, the things that can be manipulated by Satan himself, when they come up and try to cloud everything and try to take control, the knowing can take over. And by her knowing, she called him Lord. She called him Master. And she believed what he says. And soon she heard that she rose quickly and came unto him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but he was in the place that Martha met him. Why is that significant? Jesus is always right where we leave him. You know, the word says that he will never leave us or forsake us. But so many times we leave and forsake him. When circumstances do not go right, when we feel like he's not doing what we feel that he should be doing, 
We back away. We turn our backs. We run. And not just with Jesus. We do this with people too. When things become too hard, too difficult, we go into another direction. We lock ourselves away. We put up walls. But Jesus is always right where we leave him. Ready for there whenever we're ready for him. He doesn't force himself on us. He just waits there patiently for us to return. And the Jews, when they were with her in the house and come forth to her, they saw Mary that she rose up and hastily went and followed her, saying, She goes to the grave to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if thou had been there, my brother had not died. So here we go. Jesus is ready to take it all again. One more. I told you so. One more that if you'd only done what you're supposed to do, if you'd only came, if you'd only got here, you could have saved him. Not seeing the big picture. Not seeing who he is. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have ye laid him? And they said, Come and see. Jesus wept. And they said, Jews, behold how he loved him. Jesus Experienced everything that we experience. And we see here this little bit of emotion that comes through. Jesus was troubled. He was troubled seeing his dear friends saddened by this loss. He was troubled by the loss of self. This is his friend is now dead in a grave. Many of us could sit right here right now and we could picture a loved one in the grave and it would bring tears to our eyes thinking of what that loss would mean to us. Jesus wept and the Jews behold how he loved him. And some of us said, could not this man which have opened the eyes of a blind has caused even this man should not have died. So once again, Jesus is being questioned about his lack, about what he didn't do, how he didn't do it right. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning unto himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take thy stone. Martha, thy sister of him that was dead, saith unto the Lord, By the time he stinketh, for he has been dead for four days. She had faith, but not enough. Not enough to see the big picture because Jesus has already told her. He has told her that he is not going to die, that he is the resurrection, that she will be with her brother again. And yet she says, you don't want to go in there. You don't want to open that up. It's too late. He already smells bad. 
And how many times in our lives do we get in situations where things smell bad? Where it seems like it's too far gone. It can't be fixed. It can't be recovered. It can't be redone. And what do we do? We give up. We leave it buried. We cover it up where we can't smell the smell. And Jesus said unto her, Say, I not unto thee, if thou would believest, thou shalt should see the glory of God. They had to make that first step. You know, Jesus could have just blew that stone away. He could have rolled it away himself. He could have vaporized it. That stone was not blocking the Lord one bit. But they needed to make a move. They needed to make a show of faith. When Peter stepped out onto the water, he had to make that first step. When Abraham was going up the mount to sacrifice Isaac, he had to make that journey. We have to step out in faith first to allow Jesus, to allow God to work in our lives. We have to make that step first, that blind step of faith. Of course, it didn't make any sense. Of course, he's been dead for four days. Of course, he's going to smell bad. But that doesn't matter when it comes to faith. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. He hasn't even said nothing yet. But yet he is thanking him because he knows that his father knows what he's going to say before he ever says it. I thank thee. Thou hast heard me. And thou hast heard me always. Thou hast heard me always. But because of the people which I stand by, I say it, that they say may believe me. And thou hast sent me. And when he, Thysus, spoken, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that he was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with the grave clothes. His faith was bound in a napkin. And Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. And then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believe him. But some of them went to the ways and told the Pharisees and told them that things that Jesus had done. We go back to this being done for the glory of the Lord. And we see here three different instances, people coming up to Jesus and they don't understand more than that, the disciples didn't understand. They thought they were going to go in here and they're just going to get murdered. They're going to get stoned. Then Martha couldn't understand why he didn't show up. Mary couldn't understand why he didn't show up. They knew that Jesus could heal. 
the Jews said, why didn't he show up? And the answer is because nobody could see the big picture. Nobody knew what God's plan was. What God's plan is. That's where we have to rely on faith. Because so many things happen here. Because we see the confusion of all these people. They knew that Jesus could do some things. But this showed him, it showed everyone that Jesus could do anything. This was his biggest miracle. Raising the dead. Walking on water. Duplicating some fish, feeding a bunch of people. This was bringing a body back to life after four days of being in the grave. It made people see. It opened their eyes to see that this is the Son of God. And it also was the beginning of a series of events that would take Jesus to the cross to complete the mission of his father to give all of us salvation to restore what had been broken by sin and allow us a way back to the father. All of these things had to be done. And you see, they didn't lose anything. They felt some discomfort. They felt some feelings. They felt some sadness, some sorrow, some pain, some anger. But nothing that truly hurt them. And they were given their brother back. And they were also given faith. We don't have no more of the story after that. We don't know what happened years later. But I can imagine that this moment lived on with them for the rest of their lives and how they must have told everyone that they came encounter with about what Jesus did for them. He was their teacher. He was their friend. And he performed a great miracle in their lives after everything was lost. God is talking to us today through these people. Through these three people today. Because all of us, I hope if we stop today and and I broke down these different little segments that you felt something there. That you seen where, hey, I do that. I doubt sometimes. I question God's motives. And how many times have we seen the expected end afterwards? Seen what God's picture was when it came together, when all the pieces fit and what that was like. How many times have we had something in our lives that's dead? 
and we've given up on it. How many of these times have we just had faith and relied on the promises that God has given us? Could that thing have been restored? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Not just once. He is the resurrection in everything. And we don't give him enough credit. We don't believe enough. We don't have enough faith to see that God is taking care of everything if we'll just allow him to do it. We go back to Jesus waiting where Martha had left him. Because so many times we leave him. It's not that God is not working in our lives. It's where we're not allowing him to work. We are not going to him. We are not operating in faith. We are not doing the things. I promise you this. I promise you this. If there is something that is not happening in your life, it is not God's fault. God is not slipping up. God is not making a mistake. God is not ignoring you. He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. But there are so many things we see about the lack of understanding. And that is why I get up here week after week and I'm trying to give us more understanding. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to pass it on. I'm trying to take what God gives me and pass it on to you so we can have better understanding so we can start finding these little things. And sometimes it's just a little thing, something we think is minute, not important, or we're not even thinking of, that is holding us back so much in life from accessing the kingdom to having a great relationship with God because of other things that's blocked us. We have so many things to be thankful for. She got up here this morning and sang that song, Be Thankful for the Scars. And it's emotional. Because it's during these hard times we felt so much emotion. And it's also during these times where we have changed and adapted and grown so much. And the common denominator in all that is God has been there with us. God has seen us through. And God is going to continue to do so. We all have a Lazarus in our lives, no matter what it is. But we all have a God that can resurrect it. There is never too late. There is a never a too far gone. There is a never a no turning back. Whatever the situation is, it can be turned around. It can be reserved. It can be restored. Because God has the power to do so. And he wants to do it for us because he loves us. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for everything that you do in our lives, Father. And I know that each and every one of us are guilty of not thanking you enough, Father. Because I know that we can't even begin to think about how you've influenced our lives each and every moment. There's so many things that you've done for us that we have not even seen, that we've just talked it off as, as life, Father. So many times that you've protected us and shielded us. 
And Father, for the things that we've been through, Father, that you've carried us through, the things that we're going through now, the things that we've came through the other side of, Father, and that what we've gained through the process, the strength that we've gained, the faith that we've gained, Father. And we have so much lack, not from you, Father, but from ourselves because we fail to trust you enough. We fail to study your word enough, Father. We fail to fellowship enough, Father. We fail to see what the truth is, Father. We fail in so many ways, Father. And we thank you that you're patient with us. We've seen Jesus so many times be patient with these people that failed so many times, that failed in faith, failed in understanding, Father. And we thank you that you have that patience with us each and every day. We thank you for the families, Father. We thank you for the people in our lives. We thank you for our spouses and our children, Father. We thank you for our friends, our church family. We thank you that we live in a place, Father, where we are free to be able to worship you in the ways that we see fit. We are thank you, Father, we have this place to gather, that we have these people that work together, Father, to, to keep this church going, Father. We thank you for the outlets that we have to be able to, to share your word. We thank you for having the abundance of the word, Father, to be able to access it through written print, through electronics, Father, through hearing the sound of, of voices, Father. We thank you that we can come to you in each and every day, each and every way, Father, whenever we feel the need. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made to allow us all these privileges, Father. Father, we just ask that during this time when we are we're gathered and, and we are thinking about the things we're thankful for, Father, that you are first and foremost on our hearts, that you'll soften our hearts today, Father, and make us realize all the blessings in our life, Father. The Father will start having a different outlook and it's taking all this negativity that we take in, Father, and taking these bad things and start pushing that down and start seeing the light, Father, of what you are and everything that it represents. We thank you for this, Father. We ask you to, to be with us through this week, Father, and just to stay heavily on our hearts, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, Father. And may we encounter others to be a blessing to others, Father. And just thank you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Page 393 in your hymnal.